Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Welcome back. Today we're talking about navigating the IEP and 504 process, something that can be very overwhelming to start. Our guest Jillian is mom to three girls, one of which was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. In addition to advocating for her own child, Jillian began lending her voice to help the disabled community as a whole. She's championed for children with special needs on the local, state, and national level. Jillian was the 2021 recipient of the Special Needs Advocate of the Year, by the National Parents Union and currently sits on a variety of panels, including the Mayor's Committee for People with Disabilities. Jillian believes that advocacy and support is a vital function for the disabled community and hopes that her unique perspective of raising a child with physical disabilities positively influences as many people as possible. Let's meet Jillian. Hi, Jillian. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here today. You are welcome. It's great to be here. Yeah. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about your family, your kids, and how you got involved with um, advocacy? Uh, yes. So my name is Jillian Rainingbird Minmi. Um, I am a mother to three girls, two biological and one adopted daughter. I'm a wife. I live in Kansas City. And um, how I got into the journey of advocating for, for my kids Um I was thrown in there, uh, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. I think of myself as an advocate until my middle child, Jayla, was born and she had a form of muscular dystrophy and that caused her to be in the wheelchair. And that is how I got it. I got started in advocating. Um, I I did a little advocacy, I guess, like, you know, this isn't working for my oldest child, you know, my oldest child. But when Mm -hmm. it came to my middle child, I got um, that's when I really kind of stepped up and started advocating and, and doing a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing. So, I mean, I can't even imagine starting that process would be, um, overwhelming just the 504 process, the IEP process. So even the verbiage alone, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between a 504 plan and an IEP? Absolutely. So let's start with the IEP. The IEP stands for the Individualized Education Program. And so an IEP lays out the special education instruction, and that's how your child is taught. It lays out the support your child receives in school and the services your students need to thrive in the education institution. A 504 plan is like a blueprint for the house. The school will support your your child with a disability, and it removes the barriers to learning. You know, the ultimate goal for the 504 plan is to give your student equal access at schools. Mm -hmm. Now, looking, you know, um, back and forth at the IEP and the 504 plan um, is really important because you really need to find um, out what plan will benefit you and your your child the most. And so um, just to break that down, um, the IEP 
provides individualized special education and related services, and it's really unique to the child. Um, there is the, the services are provided at no cost. Um, and the 504 plan is a little different. It provides services and changes to the learning environment, and it just helps your child to learn, you know, to ensure that your child is able to learn alongside their peers. And just like the IEP, a 504 plan is provided at no cost to, to the family. Sure. Can you kind of along those lines, so if your child has an IEP and a 504, what would be like an example of something that would be in an IEP versus a 504? And I know that there's there can also be a lot of overlap too. Yes. So depending on what, uh, so like with my child at one point, she had an IEP and a 504 plan. Mm-hmm. An IEP will break down, like you're going to have a meeting with the IEP and then there's goals that have to be reached with the mm-hmm. IEP plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the 504, it, there may be little adjustments, like maybe uh, your child can't hear. So that child is going to be, it's important, all classes that the child will be brought to the front of the classroom and maybe the, the teacher will talk a little bit louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the IEP, it's more individualized and like how can, you know, the, it, it, there's more coverage um, and there's more um, protection under the IEP. So some of the things um, look a little different. Um, so 504 does give like more comment, like there's it's specific accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll list out like who will provide those services. And then there's also somebody uh, somebody responsible for ensuring that the plan is imp- implemented. Now the IEP, um, it like it'll list the levels of the academic academic performance of your child. Mm-hmm. You'll have annual education goals, um, the, and then it'll list out the services that your child will get. Um, the education goals will be tracked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the services will be like, you'll know when they start, how often they'll occur, how long it'll last. Of course, accommodations. And then there's modifications as well okay. um, on how or what your child is expected to learn and know. Okay. Um, That's so and, helpful. Yeah. So I have um, my youngest child has a speech IEP. So that's mm-hmm. very like specific goals of, you know, by the end of this IEP, Lucy will be able to like, you know, say her THs 90% of the time and very measurable. And then I have my oldest child gets chronic migraines. Mm -hmm. And so we've been pursuing um, a 504 before we get to middle school because he has wonderful teachers that accommodate him by turning down the lights a little or um, he takes his tests on paper instead of iPads because that can trigger a migraine, but those are a little bit less, I guess, measurable and I more just sometimes I feel like they're more environmental things that you can do. Yeah. You know, for some, yeah, sometimes it's almost like it's, it's, it's like a 504 is almost like tangible. Like, like it's, it's uh-huh. hard. Yes. Yes. Words. So yeah, that's yeah. really good. So Jillian, what advice do you have for a mom that's just starting out on this path for her child? So for example, um, I don't know, like where do you even begin? Early resources? 
So some early resources, like I always, I had no idea um, until my child had a disability that there was a program in Missouri called Missouri First Steps. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that program, like, okay. Yeah. That, that program was like early intervention services. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think yeah. on the Kansas side, it's infant and toddler services. services. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not really too familiar with Kansas. I do know the Missouri First Steps, mm-hmm. but just it's with when you get into the Missouri First Steps, of course, you're going to get de- evaluated. Um, but um, what they will do is they'll create an IFSP, which is an individual, what is it, individual family service plan, okay. and um, it's created and it's it's very instrumental and will help when your child transitions to early childhood education. Mm-hmm. It almost like lays the groundwork for the IEP. Yeah. Right. It's the ball rolling. Yep. So, okay. So with your, with your experience, with your kids, you started this, you know, you know, early, early preschool, toddler age, correct? Correct. And then what did that look like transitioning to elementary school? I mean, your well, your four-year-old's not quite there, but your well, middle daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she, Transition was was pretty easy when we had a, a, an IFSP transition mm-hmm. into an IEP. Okay, so that I found that that was so much easier than with my youngest daughter. She has an IEP as well, mm-hmm. but a little bit longer, and you're kind of having to advocate on your own. Beside, uh, instead of having like a state-run agency helping you go through the process of getting an IEP, but like so, it's easy. I always tell people, I always tell parents, if you're able to like get an, a diagnosis or you know that your child has developmental delays, then mm-hmm. you need to get into first steps because they'll have that transition is so much smoother into the school district. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's so much more smoother than having to getting to the school district and then your child is, is in school and then having to, um, request your child to be evaluated for yeah. an IV. Definitely. Definitely. I found even like, I mean, we're in the Shawnee mission school district, but figuring out who the point person is, which usually, okay. I mean, that I think, you know, has to be published in our building. It's the principal. That you start out with, but they have a district person too. And just even trying to figure that out, you know, you have to go and you formally request it. And there's a whole process. It's not just like a teacher says, this kid needs extra help. Like mm-hmm. there is a big old process. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And there's like, I, I know certain school districts have to go have step by step processes. Yeah. And so they go through every single process and it can be a while. Oh, and yeah. it's also daunting when you're like a single parent going through mm-hmm. it all by yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had friends who have actually invited like an outside advocate yes. to just be in the room and at the table as they meet with district officials if there's any question of whether the child might qualify or won't qualify and just having extra voices to mm-hmm. help. Extra set of ears. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because it's can like even for a parent like me who has like I like I, I have no problem with pushing back and saying no, absolutely not. I don't like this. Something isn't right. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I know so I've talked to some parents who just aren't, you know, they're a little bit more laid back. And so it, it's, it was overwhelming for me. And I was like, I was like in fear. I was like, oh my God, there's like 10 people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's intimidating. There's doctors and, and, and they're going through all this and they're using all these acronyms and I don't know what they are. And they're using these words and I'm like lost. I'm just sitting there mm-hmm. like it, it's... And so, um, yeah, it can, it's, it's super overwhelming. And I, I hope that, um, as time progresses that schools will understand how overwhelming it is for parents who are already burdened with a child who has special needs it's mm-hmm. to take on as a parent. Yeah. I mean, we found even with, I mean, the migraines is not, you know, a daily, you know, struggle, but it does affect learning and it, just advocating even for him to get the medication he needs at school is a battle. Yeah. Yeah. So then to then try to explain, well, (laughs) no, he can't take that test on an iPad because he'll get a migraine right away and then he'll be gone for the rest of the school day. And if that happens eight times a month, Mm -hmm. you know, that definitely affects learning. But then, you know, even thinking ahead to middle school, then we'll have, you know, six or seven different teachers you're going to have to explain that to. And a migraine isn't just a headache. And, you know, even just that it's a small, small like diagnosis, but yeah, it's, it, that was even daunting. So I can't imagine, you know, more complex needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jillian, you were talking about just the overwhelm of, um, you know, being a parent at a table, like surrounded by, you know, a bunch of experts or teachers, special ed, different people from all the different, um, venues, you know, um, with special education. And I've been through that so many times on the teacher side, um, from having taught. And I feel like the most important thing I feel like for parents to remember is when you're in on those meetings, you are the expert, you're the best expert in the room because you're the mom of that kid. So try to keep that in mind to not feel, um, I mean, it is overwhelming, but to keep in mind, like you are the the contact person and you know your child more than anybody else in the entire room um i think is an important thing to remember absolutely i i tell parents when parents ask me for help or ask me questions um about special education mm-hmm. i always tell you know there might be people who have a phd in the room but you always have to remember that you have a phd <laughs> on your child exactly <laughs> know them more than anybody and that is just powerful that you know that you are the expert on your child and you know better than anybody else exactly exactly so Jillian and our you and I had an initial um chat and interview and you had to men- mention the importance of you kind of use the phrase intellect using your intellect over your emotion during that process what did that look like what did you mean you know, by that well, you know, <clears throat> when you know that something isn't going right for your child mm-hmm. and um, and just being a mom, you're like, I'm like ultimate mama bear, right? Yes. So, my emotions were always big over, they're still big over my kids. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to protect my child, but it was very important while going through the entire process that I use my intellect over my emotion. And that is one of the hardest things to do. Well, it, it was for me. It's just trying to keep my bearings and, and, and use that intellect and using what I know and what I understand um, to help my child instead of becoming overly emotional. 
Yeah. It's hard, but it's, it's, that was one of the biggest hurdles are the biggest things that I had to deal with through the whole process. Do you have any tips for doing that? I'm thinking, I'm like, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, this is me. I feel like I would go on with a notepad, you know, with like my thoughts outlined, thinking through factual things um, and trying to like stick to that rather than my emotions. And did you have anything that helped you with that? Kind of keeping, <laughs> keeping the mama bear chill? <laughs> <under> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Keeping the mama bear contained. Um mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things is I always took, I took a notepad, I had notes, Mm -hmm. and then I also thought about what I wanted to look like the night before. So even a run through on what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, what I thought, you know, my child's education should look like, what I wanted, you know, as the end goal, like, what am, why am I here? That was the first thing is, why are we here? What are we going here for? What am I looking for? What do I want the school to do? So I asked myself all these questions and I went in there thinking like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I I did my little research and I think I know it, but then they started coming in and they were like IEP, LRE. And and I was like, uh, so, yeah, but, you know, just coming, um, having your notes, walking through what it looked like um, and, and and just continuously looking at what I was, you know, my end goals written down helped me to, to understand what I was actually there for. For sure. For I sure. think it's unfortunate. I mean, this has not been my personal experience, but just listening to, you know, friends of that the process can get contentious and totally contentious. so complicated. Yes. And we all... I think everyone at that table has the same goal. Yeah. But, you know, we know school districts are not getting the special education funding they need and they're short on resources. And obviously the parent doesn't care. They just want the best education for their child. And it's always amazing to me that just the stories I hear about just the conflict at that IEP table. Yes. I think trying to like as a parent, trying to maintain and obviously I totally realize that every situation is different, but trying to maintain kind of like what you were saying, Sarah, the mentality that this is a team working together and you are part of the team, if not the most important part of the team, um, and that everybody is there to help your child um, with the same end goal. But I also realize that can, I can go elsewhere, but I, but I do know again from the teacher side of there's a huge difference when a parent comes in and is, already acting as part of the team and then coming in versus coming in and acting like it's like us versus them. Um, that just sets it up for a little, a little rocky start. So anyways. Um, okay. Jillian, can you talk about you've, you've experienced both medical and academic advocacy. So can you kind of talk about those two things and what that's looked like? Yeah. So, um, Medically, you know, I will say that when you're dealing with a child with special education, um, SPED, medical advocacy and educational advocacy really go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> my medical advocacy looked like um, getting a diagnosis for my daughter. Like I, I had, thankfully I had a child who was older, so I knew kind of like, what development should look like. Mm-hmm. And I, so 
saw that um, my child who who ended up with you know being in a wheelchair because and eventually getting diagnosed with muscular a type of muscular dystrophy looked like when she was struggling to walk at a year and I'm like this isn't normal like my oldest child was walking around 10, 11 months. And, you know, the doctors will tell you, oh, everybody is different. And I'm like, no, this isn't right. <clears throat> yeah, like a gut feeling. Yes, I, like, I, I felt, I had that gut feeling. And so I always, like, my, I always tell parents or families that if you feel like something isn't right or the development on your child seems off, yep. uh, continue to just question and ask. Mm-hmm your doctor. And that even means going, I went to several, I ended up having to actually, if I actually got a diagnosis for my daughter in St. Louis at St. Louis Children's, mm-hmm. um, I went to the hospital here in, in, in Kansas city. And I, I tried and tried and tried and I got multiple diagnoses and I was like, this isn't right. Let me, you know, keep trying and keep going and looking for other things. And that actually ended up, um, that type of advocacy, meeting with other parents, um, that medical advocacy actually ended up with um, a bill getting passed through our Missouri Senate um, that now um, all children born in Missouri will be, uh, it's in the blood panel, the newborn panel that your child is tested for. That disease is on that panel now. Oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. So now kids will automatically be tested for that disease. They won't have to like go to three hours away Mm -hmm. to get. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's just like telling your stories and getting out there and telling people like, this isn't right. We should have known. So, so very thankful that that's on there. No other parents will have to go through that again. Yeah, Um, for sure. And then, um, Academic advocacy, that as well, it, it, it ends up, it, it, it takes you back down to to our state capital and you're down there just advocating for what you want, what your student, you know, what you want your, for your children, basically. And so it's kind of the same process. It's just getting out there, telling your story, um, talking to your legislators on on what you would like to see done and, and how you know, and, and asking for funding, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to beat around the bush. One of the biggest things is 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 why everybody is going to Jefferson or to our capital in Jefferson City is asking for funding for our students. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> or even for yourself, whatever it may be. But um, yeah. No, that's great. What's been, Jillian, through all of this? What has been? You feel like is the biggest has been the biggest hurdle the biggest obstacle or challenge oh <laughs> all of it i know all of it <laughs> i'm like i can go there's a entire list yeah. i mean <clears throat> um systemically our education institutions are not set up for being different for having different yeah. doing right things so yeah. i think that's been the biggest hurdle and sometimes institutions have been running for a lot of years. And so they've done certain things a lot of years the same way. And so the biggest thing is push and change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing, like, and trying to get, you know, institutions and, and where the decisions are being made to think differently, do things just a little bit differently. And, 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 um, but I will tell you that when you go, <laughs> when you are having those conversations, it always helped to say, let's think equitably. Let's think equitably. What would it look like? You know, mm-hmm. 
So, and I, the other biggest thing is, um, the biggest hurdle has been funding. I mean, our education institutions are strapped for cash. Uh, they lack resources and the list goes on and on and on. There's no teachers. Mm -hmm. So that makes a change in the system even more hard to, to, you know, to get through or to get through all the red tape. It, It makes it extremely more difficult. Yeah. I think it's easy. I remember attending a PTA meeting last school year when they were talking about on the Kansas side, the funding for special ed, that the funding is there. They just won't approve it. Um, but it's easy as a parent who doesn't need accommodations or doesn't need that funding to think it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it really sets everybody up for, as you said, like a not equitable mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Or even the parents who think like, well, it'll take away from my child. Oh, yes. You know? <laughs> oh, geez. You know, the real reality of a birth. That's a great that. attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard that a few times when it comes to like equitable funding. Like, yes. oh, but it's going to take away from my child. And I'm like, well, it doesn't. That doesn't, though. It's it doesn't. I will, I will tell you what takes away from your child is not having the appropriate supports in a school. So when you have a teacher trying to teach, when you have kids that have needs in the classroom that aren't being supported with because of lack of funding, that is what takes away is um, is not having supports in place. Absolutely. And then so the- I think people forget that. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a, a, a teacher and then it, it does cr- cut down on the, instru- uh, the instructional time. That- oh, yeah. it's It turns into a complete managing situation as opposed to an instructional academic, you know, setting. Not that I've experienced that, but <laughs> it's hard. Right. It's definitely hard. What's been, Jillian, what's been the biggest gift through this process? Oh, I think the biggest gift has definitely been um, being the mother of a child with a special needs. It definitely has been eye-opening, mm-hmm. and it has been a gift. I've been gifted so many things that I could never buy, and that is um, patience, because I am the one of the most impatient people in the world, mm-hmm. and so I've been gifted... Um, Patience, um, and I've been gifted, which I think is one of the most important qualities to have, is extending grace. I always believe in extended grace. So yeah. uh, I, I, I didn't really look at it like that before, but in any space, in any situation, um, I tried to share um, grace. So the, the, those are two biggest things um, or gifts that I was able to receive through everything. Do you feel like, I feel like anytime you experience something that is not maybe what was expected, whether that's, you know, a child with special needs or miscarriage or something, I feel like a byproduct of that, that ends up being a gift is being a part of a community that you wouldn't have otherwise been a part of and having empathy for, you know, um, an experience that you had not yet experienced. Do, have you experienced that at all? Absolutely. I had no idea what the world looked like for a person in a wheelchair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take so many things for granted. Um, I, I see how important handicap 
parking is. I yeah. see how important it is to have um, um, sidewalks. You know, on our <clears throat> in our neighborhood on the east side of Kansas City, we don't have sidewalks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what have to walk in the, the street when, with a wheelchair and you know when your child just wants to go for a walk in your neighborhood it was dangerous and oftentimes we're like I don't know but it was just simple things like that going for a walk and just just understanding how um our world is not created or we haven't created our world for people with disabilities and so one of the biggest things I would always tell my daughter um there's nothing wrong with you you're not broken. The world is broken. And we just need to figure out how we're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Ah, any final words for our moms today? Absolutely. So I know that uh, going through the uh, special education process in our education institutions is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know oftentimes you feel like you're on an island by yourself. Um, go out and look for community organizations, um, look on Facebook for groups, uh, Mm -hmm. specific to your child diagnosis or specific to, to, to what, uh, whatever issues you're dealing with, they're out there, um, connect with those people. Um, those are your people and don't continue to be on that island by yourself. That's really good. Really good. And we'll have in show notes, we'll have some links and Jillian, maybe we can chat with you and get some, um, some of those resources that you have found to be helpful and share those with our listeners. Thank you so much, Jillian. Your personal experience, I think will make people feel less alone as if they're, especially if they're just starting this process to know that it can be navigated with a strong advocate and a lot of grace, I think, Mm -hmm. as you said. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thanks for your time, Jillian. Thank you. A quick thank you from today's sponsor, Visit Wichita. There's something happening in Wichita, a vibe, movement, excitement, city pride. People committed to creating a city to visit and a place to call home. We invite you to come see for yourself, a city that offers amazing experiences delivered with heart. From arts to attractions, nightlife, and sporting events, you feel the energy at every turn. A little fancy, a little funky, but always friendly. Wichita, a city that welcomes all and celebrates all. Come see the place we love. We think you'll love it too. Okay, awesome conversation. We are transitioning to what we are loving Kansas City right now. It is September. And so fall is kind of starting to be in full swing. Lots and lots and lots of things. So it's hard to narrow down just one per person. Well, our what annual is your one. Our annual favorite of things we never miss is always Johnson Farms, which is in Belton. Um, and I feel like I've tried all the farms and all the places mm-hmm. and it still remains my favorite. Um, it's family owned. We like to stop by Dunn Cider Mill on our way. Um, definitely check online because their hours and availability change mm-hmm. based on supply. It's kind um, of like a hidden gem too. It is. It's like not everybody, maybe we shouldn't even be sharing. I know. There. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Um, <laughs> and they don't have they run out because it's fresh cider. So, and they have donuts. And so definitely check them out on your way to Johnson Farms. Um, 
but we just love it. You, everything is included in the price, um, activities, um, there's apple picking, um, pumpkins you can pick in the field or pumpkins you can get in their, um, store vegetables, um, depending on what time of year you go. And then they have all the, you know, the race pig races and there's goats and games and the jumping pillow, just all, all the things, the pumpkin launcher, the pumpkin cannon, cannon, um, which is a big hit. That is a big hit. The dinosaur Mm -hmm. chomping pumpkin, Mm -hmm. the bus (laughs) that you can climb in the corn pit. Yes. They've really expanded, um, the last couple of years. So much to do. And Um, I think it's good for variety of ages too. Yeah. We still, I mean, um, all my kids still love it. And that is our annual trip. That's our like fall blowout weekend. And the owners are fabulous, genius, so amazing. Great. So definitely Nicest people. check them out. And animals. Yes. In the barn. All the things. See, you can see the animals and the slushies. Yes. Uh, yes. So if you go and it's 98 degrees, which is possible. Which it usually is. Usually is. It doesn't matter. You can get a slush. Yeah. And you're good to go. Okay. Mine is kind of also a, a hidden gem. Um, for those of us in the dog loving community, now I have to be honest, I have not been to this since before I had kids, but now that I have rediscovered this, I may be going this year. So Blue Springs out at, let me make sure I tell you the right location, Kemper Outdoor Education Center um, in Blue Springs. They are hosting the 28th annual Dogtoberfest. It is absolutely hysterical, you guys, even if you don't have a dog. Just go. It's so fun. The cost, it's free admission um, with a with a dog food, um, bag of dog food donation. So they collect those. So they have um, tons of booths. So they have food vendors. They have, um, let's see, I'm literally just reading off their site here. They have um, pet supplies, pet sitters, rescues are there with dogs um, up for adoption if you need more. And um, they have all sorts of contests, which are hysterical. And back again, let me clarify, before I had children, I entered our lab into a contest there and he won (laughs) the like dog biscuit eating contest. And I mean, oh, it was, it was a big day. Um, All sorts of contests for the dogs, Halloween contests, and people go all out or the costume contests, um, all sorts of stuff for kids. And um, agility, obedience, those are really cool to watch. And then you can also sign up to have your dog do the canine good citizen test, which my current dog would fail. So anyways, that is October 16th. Uh, It's on a Sunday from 10 to 4. You can just pop out there and I will um, link to both of these places in the show notes. So all sorts of fun coming this fall. Happy it's fall. You can check out our fall guide on the website for all the things. For all the things, yes. All right, friends, thanks for being here today, and we will see you next time. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.